It's that time of the week. Well, one of the two times, three-point range time. I'm Mike Berardino. Thank you for joining us. Uh, joined, as always, by Tim Crothers and Kimball Crossley. We're going to change it up just a bit this time. Normally, I go right to Kimball because he's he's a diva about that. But this time, <laughs> this time, a new diva. The professor wants to go first. Tim Crothers, what do you got? Well, I don't know whether you all have heard, but on uh... – Sunday on the TV, they're going to play this thing called the Super Bowl. I'm told this is the 55th one of these things, and uh, I've actually been to one of them. It was Super Bowl XXVIII at the Rose Bowl in Pasadena, California. You are looking live. Dallas 52, Buffalo 17. It is considered one of the more forgettable Super Bowls which I can confirm because I remember virtually nothing about it. I have only the vaguest recollection of the game's most notable play. When Dallas defensive lineman Leon Lett scooped up a fumble and appeared to be scoring an easy touchdown, but alas, he started showboating near the goal line and he was caught famously from behind by the hustling Don Beebe who jarred the ball loose. And then I'm sure we all know what happened next because uh, it has it's so connected to three-point range. The fumble bounced through the end zone for a Bills touchback. Yes, a freaking touchback. And I have been campaigning against that idiotic rule ever since. See episode 9 or 10 or one, one of these little chats we've had. Um, anyway, so my only distinct and fond memory from that Super Bowl experience had nothing to do with Super Bowl Sunday, but actually occurred on Super Bowl Wednesday. Turns out these days leading up to the Super Bowl are often the most entertaining part. I'm just here so I won't get fined. Anyway, at Super Bowl XXVIII, I was, in, I was an intrepid uh, Sports Illustrated reporter sniffing around for a career-saving story, as I always was. And I found myself at the Cowboys practice on the campus of UCLA. I suddenly noticed several fans trying to sneak into various cracks and crevices where they could catch a glimpse of the Dallas practice. And that led me to meet an enter enterprising UCLA student named Joe Pachowski. I'm, I'm guessing that's, I really don't have any idea how to say it. Maybe it's Burditch. I don't know. Right. Anyway, uh, Pachowski had already been nabbed once by the NFL SWAT team for peeping when he came up with uh, this brilliant plan B, and I happened to just be standing beside him when he did it. So he kind of said, hey, you want to come along? I said, of course. <laughs> Suddenly, I'm, find, I'm following Pachowski to the 10th floor of nearby Dykstra Hall, mm. where there was a small hall, hallway window that just happened to overlook the football practice field. So Joe and I had this spectacular overhead panorama of the Cowboys practice that day. And I wound up writing about it for the Super Bowl issue of, of Sports Illustrated, including a photo of the view we had and the requisite snarky zinger about NFL security. Huh. Maybe that's why I never went to another Super Bowl. <laughs> anyway, uh, I'm, I'm curious if either of you have ever covered one of these Super Bowls, attended a Super Bowl, played in a Super Bowl, maybe you watched one on TV. Anybody? I have never attended a Super Bowl. Mike has. 
We got that story last week or earlier this week, right? Well, I think I was talking there about the Orange Bowl, but uh, yes, I've collected I've collected my share more than my share of events, and I think it's three Super Bowls for me, but all were in Miami or unincorporated Miami Dade County. Uh, one of them was the uh, <laughs> Eugene Robinson game. The uh, yeah, John L. Well, Eugene Robinson arrested the night for the Super Bowl after being all media all week and i'd cover that nfc championship what great guy eugene robinson everybody loved him and uh he would just filled it up and then uh, he just you know he'd given so many interviews he needed to let off a little steam and that was a bit of a distraction for the falcons who probably would have lost anyway uh what i remember more about each super bowl is the uh halftime entertainment generally and so i was treated the first time to kiss my only opportunity to see Kiss live, uh, and they did a fine job, and they blew up a lot of stuff. And then the second time was was uh, Prince in the rain, and I think a lot of people would say for a halftime Purple show, Rain. Uh, it was Purple Rain. He was playing Purple Rain in uh, the rain. You remember that? It was Colts and Bears. Devin Hester runs the opening kickoff back. Bears do nothing else right the rest of the game. Peyton Manning finally gets the championship, but Prince, the late Prince, just was tremendous and it's the only time i got to see prince live and then the last one was peyton manning again against drew Brees, and uh the uh, ill-fated hank basket who was uh, married to uh, i believe uh, kendra sutherland uh, I'm, I'm messing up her name probably but <laughs> she, she was a she, hank basket was only known for being married to a really beautiful woman who was uh, kind of an entertainer model type, and then he he wasn't ready for the opening kickoff of the second half, and Botsy Botsy uh, the onside kick, and so that that really hurt the uh, Colts. But that was the Who, and the Who. Well, I'd seen them several times. I love the Who, but I just thought they did a wonderful job, even at their advanced age, and a great stage. The uh, whole presentation was amazing with the with the lights and the. And the uh, obviously the, the musicianship is, is is outstanding. But even people who maybe had never heard of, I, I found myself. Now that was the one where I found myself getting. You mean far, people who far, said who? Exactly. Okay, I was getting farther into my career, and I'm looking around the press box. Even a lot of the younger writers, even at that stage, a decade ago, were just rolling their eyes. They, they weren't. They you know who are these dinosaurs? And I found myself. Just please don't fall off the stage. Just pl- come on, Pete. You know how I feel about Pete Townsend. Great guy. Uh, never met him. Never met. And that was my one great regret. Was Pete Townsend did an interview. That's what would happen at Super Bowl week. Another highlight would be when they bring in the halftime show to do an interview. And unfortunately, I was out at. Uh, I was stalking Chad Pennington at some sort of availability during that, and I had to do my job. And Pete, of course, gave, you know answering questions from sports writers. What could go wrong? And uh, that was one of the highlights of the week. So Super Bowl, I, I'm with you, Tim. I generally don't remember much of the games, even the ones that I just have been to or the ones I watch. You don't remember much about that, but it's all the it's all the sideshow stuff, and and um, I'm sure it'll be that way again this week. Well, this is exactly why I really have very little to no desire to go to a Super Bowl. I can't think of too many scenarios where I'd be like, yeah, I want to go to that. Much, you know, never mind, like traveling miles and miles, spending a lot of money on the tickets and how to get there and how to stay there. I wouldn't mind covering one. I think that would be interesting. But yeah, I don't really think going to one. I could just imagine like just standing there, all the breaks and then, you, you know, football, you don't really get a great view of the game often from a stadium. Um, so yeah, as someone who gets paid to go to sporting events, you might have to pay me to go to a, a Super Bowl. 
Wouldn't you just do what you usually do, which is find a friend who's got a free room and then just just say, "Hey, I need a place to stay." That's not that a bad idea, but those you know those days are over. I'm a hotel <laughs> guy now. It's hard to imagine. <laughs> really? Yeah, it's hard to imagine. Remember, he said that, Mike. Remember All right. He said that. All right. The inn is the inn is closed. No room at the inn. No no Airbnb for you even. It's just it's mm -hmm. all Marriott points or, or or bust. Almost always a hotel. Yeah. All right. Great. <laughs> <laughs> I do have a couple of PSs to this before we move on. Um, the uh, it, as I was looking back through the through the story, I, which which by the way I will I will post on our fabulous Substack uh, later today. Oh yes. Um, uh, I I was reminded that uh, that Dallas really should have been wise to this this whole scam all along because Dykstra Hall, uh, spelled as as in Lenny Dykstra Ding. Um, was UCLA's summer football dorm, and so and there were no fewer than five UCLA Bruins on the Dallas Cowboys that year, including Troy, including Troy Aikman, right? Yeah. And PPS because I I needed something for my crack research staff to do this week, and they couldn't really help me much without this own with this personal memory. Um, they looked up for me uh, at the LinkedIn profile of Joe Pachowski. Uh, after years of covering UCLA sports for SB Nation, which is probably something you've you've probably written for that, Mike, because you've written for everything. I've um, no. Okay, they won't well, have Pachowski me. is now currently selling GPS tracking equipment for a company in Simi Valley. Um, still guiding the uninitiated, which I thought is just so poetic. So is um, he the is he the guy that? snuck into a few things like that I, you know is, is that who you're talking about the guy that like he went in uniform once and got into a practice no 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 that's oh. somebody else so that's somebody else this is oh, this th i think this was joe's one and only uh moment of of fame for this but but shout out to joe i understand he's a regular listener to three-point range so. <laughs> nice. you know um Dolphins, a couple of years I covered the Dolphins, you could go up on the parking deck and, and see what was going on there. And even that, even regular season practices, they would send somebody up there every so often just to clear. I mean, who really that's, cared to see the 79 Dolphins? Got, yeah. That's where Joe got, got, got nabbed the first time. He was, on a, he was on the top of a parking deck right next to the to Spalding Field, which was the, was the uh, practice facility. And he was trying to look, look at it from the parking deck and, and – uh, and, Security swept in and just just took care of that right away. But for some reason, they they didn't look up because it was it was not that difficult to, to see that. Okay, right right over the right over my shoulder there is this this towering dorm that surely has a window that faces this field. And uh, and Joe was really proud of it. And and uh, there was actually several Cowboys fans later later turned up. We found out at that same window, and they started. They started uh, talking about it, and I'm, so I'm shocked that that wasn't eventually shut down. But uh, and so he worked for Bill Belichick. <laughs> yes, yes, he was. Uh, he was. An, he's a, he was a Patriots employee. Why the Patriots were buying this or were bothering to spy that game, I don't know. But but uh, I actually think Joe might be. He might be. Uh, he might have been a a a northeasterner and possibly a New Englander. I can't really remember, mm. but. I, I, I seem to remember an accent of some sort that would have indicated that. But maybe we'll have Joe on. We should probably we should track Joe down and have him on a future a future episode of Three Point Range. 
maybe he can tell us about some of his other exploits. Well, the other thing is, even if you're up there and you have a perfect view, as you say you did, and you have, you know, high-range binoculars and all that. It, it, There's a photo in the story that shows yeah. you the view we had, and that's yeah. that's the view with the naked eye. I mean, if you had some, Did you, did you, you see anything that would have been of use at all to Marv Levy? Um, well, that's actually, I think there's a, there's a, a quote in the story about how wouldn't, what, what would Marv Levy do for this view? What, how much would he pay for this view? But um, what you saw was any of it when it, you know, if Marv had just been willing to pay Joe for that mm -hmm. information, I mean, the, the thing is, you got to know what you're looking at and maybe the well, thing, only thing would have been that's like, Hey, all the quarterback reps are going to the backup. There must something's going on with Aikman. I'm sure Bill Belichick had him had him briefed on what he was looking for, but oh, yes. that, that only helped the Patriots. I don't that'll think be, that helped that'll the Bills. That'll be fun to read. The that'll Bills clearly have no no good cheating cheating component, or they w would have won one of those Super Bowls at some point. Most likely. Mm -hmm. Cool. All right. Well. Um, Are we uh, done? Can we go home now? We're done. I, I no, mean, you have to going now, first. Wait. Going first is it's great tough. because now I can just tune out for the whole rest of the, rest You're not of the show. Right now, now you are. This is good wait stuff till you get out. just sucked back in by the brilliance that's about to visit us, and that is the twisted mind of the Scout Boy, Kimball Crossley. What you got? All right. So my my crack research team has been busy not just this week, but for many weeks, uh, accumulating data for the study that we have finally concluded. And this is, of course, a study about uh, your loss pain level. And that is how much pain you feel after a loss for one of your teams. It's like when a doctor, you go to the doctor and your arm hurts and he says, you know, what's what's the pain level on a scale of one to 10? And we all know that that every sports loss has a different level to it. And so as we go into this weekend with not just one significant event, the Super Bowl, which um, has a, a you know potential loss pain level, uh, you know, high potential loss pain level for some people and not for others. We also have the UNC Duke game, which which for many people has a, a huge loss pain level, including me. Um, so I thought it would be a good time to break out the, the results of this study. And, and this can actually help. You might be able to tell from the study going in, you know, use this algorithm, this formula to determine whether it's even safe to watch the game for you if, the, if you're potentially at risk loss pain level. So now you might want to write down this formula. The good okay. thing about this being a podcast is people can stop and, and work their way through it, but they're going to want this formula. All right. For the rest of their life. Okay. So here's the formula. Okay. You take your favorite team loss, all on a scale of one to 10. Favorite team loss plus hated team win plus unjust result plus or minus individual player or coach win loss factor plus or minus degree of difficulty plus or minus private or public plus or minus friend, foe, both or other plus or minus financial implications weighted against financial well being plus or minus other game win loss factors from other recent sporting outcomes plus or minus prediction you made and how public it was, plus or minus um, future implications, i.e. long-term or short-term injury to participants or self, plus or minus geographical significance and or implications, plus or minus future hear about it factor with the coefficient of relativity and frequency, plus or minus previously stated sports theory impact and the weight thereof. You take this and you multiply it by historical significance times recent frequency Divide it by the number of factors. 
Now you take this number and you subtract one-fifth your loss pain tolerance, both innate and acquired. Then you add one point for each degree that your resting state of mind or other life factors is below four, or add one point for each degree it is more than seven. And then you have your number. I was told there would be no math. <laughs> this, this math works. Now, if you want to break it down, if either of you are anxious to see where you stand here, we can, we can go That's through. okay. That's we okay. Can go, no, it's, what is, what is the scale? What's the scale? It's, it's all one to 10 scale. So, so one you to do 10. One to 10 through all those, and then you come with the score. Now, now, what happens? Now, what can happen? You can actually get, uh, for your final score, it can be more, this one can go to 11. It can actually mm -hmm. go a little higher because you can come up with your score after the first series. And then when you add uh, or subtract your resting state of mind and other life factors, this can put you over the top to what we call the danger zone. And this is where you might not want to watch the game at all for risk of doing harm to yourself or others because you could come with a nine and then if you are already at your resting state and Mike, I know your resting state, right? Is not great right now. Um, you know, if, if it's three or two or one, you can actually go above 10, which again is very dangerous. So I'd be happy to walk through this with you with, with, you know, any of it, but I want to point out having done this, having, having used this research, I'm going to tell you that the Super Bowl is not a risk game for me. Okay, I know that we've talked a lot about Brady and the harmful effect that could be. But you look at some of the other factors. My favorite team's not involved. I don't hate either team involved. Okay, now we don't know about the unjust result yet. That that's open. It could be anything. And sometimes things happen that you don't foresee and 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 affect what you feel about the game. Um, but one factor, the Brady factor, is kind of balanced by what I talk about with the uh, individual player or coach factor, which is Brady winning sticks a knife in Belichick, which is gives me joy, and also the geographical factor, I am in New England country, and so a whole legion of fans will be paying to see Brady uh, winning. So that balances out what could be otherwise a dangerous game for me. Duke-UNC, often a dangerous game for me, not so much this year because of how bad both teams are, and, and it feels like it has less weight. That said, games have been known to hurt more than I thought, all you have to do is go back to last year's Duke UNC game with that horrific ending, which was, which was, and I will tell you, uh, DVR problems while I was watching it, not live, and then a person who I shall not name, uh, telling oh. me the score, the oh. score. So as that game slipped away, feeling the worst, feeling impending doom, oh. I knew there was going to be doom, and that that somehow hurt even worse. You know, I think, I think. So there you go. I will publish this on the Substack, and people can go through it and check and see what their score is. I, I don't think either one of you is in danger because I don't think either of you cares that much about uh, this game or even the UNC Duke game. Well, I got a couple yeah. quick, quick, couple quick things. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to see the scale expanded one to a hundred, for instance. We need to have more range, and then I'd like to know. Uh, you need to establish a, a threshold. This is going you predict. It's a predictive measure, right? It's going no, into no, the no. game. It's, it, You're it, gonna, predictive, but there's factors in here that you can't foresee. So yeah. it's just it, you can I predict that you, you could be in danger going to the game. But of course, the there's other factors that happen in the game. The the you know the unjust result factor. 
um, for example, you know, you know yeah. which is huge. Like one of the games that hurt me the most was Duke Wisconsin NCAA final. Oh yeah, years ago yeah. when I just thought Wisconsin deserved that game, and it 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 and the other factors, of course, were there too. But that only multiplied it. That was a fetal position game. I uh, how about this for painful losses? Uh, and I always root for myself. And I, I believe the Wisconsin. I had picked Wisconsin to win it all. That year in my brackets, all my brackets, not no little dots that year. I was all in on Wisconsin. Thought Kentucky was vulnerable, and they proved it. And then here's the and twelve minutes ago, and the they've got it. They've got fifteen hundred dollars, fifteen hundred dollars down the tubes because of uh, of uh, Mr. Jones, Tyus Jones going nuts largely, and of course uh, uh, Grayson Allen being able to do whatever he wanted on drives. Um, and then another year, how about this one? Uh, when Carolina won its first championship with Roy, um, it was over an Illinois team that I had endorsed early that season, had them winning all my brackets. And remember, Illinois had a miracle comeback against Arizona along the way, had no business still being alive, made it all the way to the final fun team. Bruce Weber, you get to go in the stands and see Bill Murray talk to him. And, and they were so close. And, of course, I didn't like McCants. I never liked McCants. He was not Carolina quality acting character. Of course, he took ripped off his shirt as soon as the game was over. Uh, Illinois had that game, too, as I recall. And on that game, uh, I stood to make about two grand. And so I'm covering it. That's the other thing. I was sitting here writing about him. I'm a Carolina alum. I, I'm, I, I try to tune out the fact that $2,000 are writing on this game. I'm sure I wrote a terrible column because I look up. I'm, I'm on tight deadline. I look up, and there's McCants running around the court, waving his shirt around. And I was like, oh, my goodness. And, and so I, I got I, I got in. I, I did the job. I beat deadline. averted disaster. But that always sticks with me, those those two losses. And I do think you mentioned something about financial component. Yes. There's gonna not going to be a bigger – unless you really get sideways with the online gambling, which I'm telling you I'm not going to do that. But the pool <laughs> – The pool – Are you worried, Tim, from I'm a little worried. I'm worried? a little worried. The pool – I haven't done the middle yet. I can't get it down to two and a half. <laughs> But when, when you when you're talking fifteen hundred to two thousand dollars riding on one game just because of the vagaries of the pool, um, in a popular pool, of course you know your pools don't have any money component to them, and it's ridiculous. But uh, you get it's into the right pool, good, right? It's <laughs> worth like good. Oh, and I've won plenty of them. I've won plenty of them over there. I've been blessed. But those two really stick out, and. Um, it's funny that you'd bring that up, but uh, it had nothing to do with Duke winning a fifth championship. That was I, I wanted the money, I just wanted my money. Oh, man. And of course, we've discussed we, we, we've discussed that Kimball's pools don't include money because he doesn't have an insider insider trading advantage when picking the NCAA tournament like like he does with baseball scouting. Mm-hmm. But let me let me boil this whole thing down to to all that all that ridiculous math down to a common denominator, which is something that I am genuinely curious about and is a philosophical question that says something about the workings of Kimball's mind. Kimball, do you, do you get more joy out of Duke losing or UNC winning? Uh, no, that's, there's, of course, it's a great question and it's, and it's a very uh, tough one to answer. I, I think it depends on some other factors that, you know, outlined here. And like, there's some UNC teams that I really, and proud of and want to win and others eh. and and even some duke teams that, that i hate less than others <laughs> believe it or not <laughs> so 
That, that's my answer. Don't Sorry. dodge the question. That's no. weak. Come on. No. It's one or the other. If if Carol, all right, well, let's play. I mean, if I had to lean to one or the other, I'd say yes, Duke, Duke losing. As um, I suspected. Yeah, yeah. As I suspected. Yeah, let's, cla let's class up this show, show a little bit by by sharing a a, uh, a concept, a, a German word called Schadenfreude, which I I just absolutely love, and it's basically defined as taking happiness in other people's misery. And uh, I've always thought of, of Kimball as the ultimate ultimate Schadenfreude guy, especially when it comes to Duke. And uh, he will be experiencing massive Schadenfreude if Carolina is somehow able to win this game on uh, Saturday night. I think it's also relative to what's what's more rare. And if, if Duke typically goes through a season losing five or six times at most, and Carolina goes through a typical season, typical winning 20-plus times, then 20 to 25 times, then, of course, the the thing that happens about a quarter of the time versus the other is going to be more noteworthy. And uh, so I, I could see where, besides Kimball having a twisted mind and being just filled with rage towards so many Duke greats through the years, um, it's uh, I think it's just the, the rarity of it that has to factor into it. Well, if you look at the algorithm, you see there's so many factors there. Not <laughs> this will be on much. Substack, right? You're no, posting yes, it? Yes, yes, yes. Okay. And it works. And there's not... Oh, there's not for me, works. they're not that financial. In it fact, works. In fact, sometimes no, it works. Don't take a cheap try. Works for what? For so what? anyway, so anyway, listen. <laughs> so, <laughs> has it been has it been I vetted? Has it been vetted? Who who would you put? Who would you put this forth to? To what what notable mathematician? It's uh, about to be vetted when I post it. Then I, I want. I, yeah. All people to try it out and, and give me feedback because like any scientific formula, you know, we might have to tinker with it yeah. a little bit, you know, yeah. bring up some things. I don't think we're gonna go to a one to hundred scale, but it does balance some of the things we've talked about. Like if you have finances, and it's very rare that I gamble, but one year I was in the, the Blue Jays team pool, which you know, the oh. labor pool, and that's a lot of money. And that year, um uh I I actually had um Duke winning which is what often i do to balance it out like i'll be in pain but at least i'll have financial gain i think and i might not have been winning i bet i'm going x but but basically all i needed to clinch it was that year they played kansas a couple years ago and if they beat kansas and then they could still lose after that i would have clinched that pool and won the money and i'm watching that game and i still rooted for kansas <laughs> that is integrity and it worked because Kansas won. That that is Schadenfreude. That is Schadenfreude. <laughs> and, and it reminds me that uh, our best wishes go out to Marty Schottenheimer and his family as <laughs> really as, as he dealt well. It's thought I thought of Marty. Uh, I always like Marty, and you can't say that first word without thinking of Schotty Schottenheimer. Um, and he's dealing with the he's in hospice. But uh, so I I don't get a chance because. Thank goodness he's still hanging in there. Of course, the Chiefs it led the Chiefs to the verge of, of many great games, uh, many great uh, that, playoff let me possibilities. Interject, that was an unjust loss, if I've ever that, – that San Diego Chargers team that Sean yeah. and I had that one year oh, was yeah. phenomenal. Yeah, like 14 and, and 2 or something. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it was disaster. Oh, yeah. So, no, he's certainly a championship-level coach, just didn't have the championship to go with it. Uh, was, that your, was that your point? So are we done? Can I go? No, no, he's still alive. He's still alive. It's not that was not me saying goodbye. That could come at a later date. Let's hope that he rallies. Let's hope he rallies. Uh
So uh, we've already teased it several times. Uh, I don't know if this is good or bad after this, set, this most recent uh, plug for the Substack, but it uh, sounds like there's going to be a lot of content on the Substack, three-point range. You can get a newsletter sent directly to your inbox every time Kimball updates his strange formula for the LPL, less pain level, we're calling yes. it? Yeah, LPL. LPL. Okay. And, of course, Tim is going to go into the Wayback Machine, something he probably could could do more frequently on Substack and post something that he wrote long ago that he'd forgotten he'd even written that. That's always fun to look back at stuff you wrote in the past and wonder, I don't remember writing that at all. But um, that'll be there. And, of course, we're, um, we're on Facebook. We have the Three Point Range Facebook page. We have uh, this this. Uh, this is a podcast. This is available through Anchor.fm. That's uh, our our hosting uh, aspect, and then you can find it on Stitcher and Spotify and Google Podcasts and a variety of other outlets. And we're always adding to that. So feedback is good. Find us on Twitter. Tim doesn't tweet, but he does have a Twitter account. You can tweet at him. I guess Kimball's on there sometimes. I am not as uh, manic about it as I used to be, but I'm still. If you got something to say, um, that's where I'll uh, answer you. Uh, with a GIF. So it's my turn. And I'll just say I'm a little tired right now because I stayed up late. I, I wanted to make sure I stayed up to all hours, as they say, because I want to make sure that I watched and I was just really curious about Al Davis versus the NFL. Have you guys seen that yet on ESPN? Quick one. No. Answer. no. So I can preview it for our listeners. And I don't want to get too deep into it because obviously you can talk about Al Davis uh, and Pete Rozelle at uh, at length, and books have been written, and more will be. But uh, something is it's the first time I've seen this in a sports documentary, and I found it off putting, and I was not prepared for it uh, that this would be done because obviously no shortage of great footage of the NFL battles with Al Davis through the years about moving the Raiders to LA and Irwindale back to Oakland, etc. And then uh, all I can say is this filmmaker is Ken Rogers, who's obviously excellent at what he does and has a, he works for NFL films. He's been involved with four different hard knocks. I always love the hard knocks uh, show, regardless of the team, I, uh, always quality. But then he took it another level here with the Davison, because obviously Al and Pete are gone. And he, hi, he delved into what's called deep fake, and it's more of a thing that has reared its head in the political world, and it's very dangerous. It's... Uh, it's something that um, it, it, technology can allow stand-in actors to have their faces digitally altered, their voices digitally altered, and as you're watching it, in theory, and I've seen it done with Obama, for instance, it can you really can put words in the mouth of someone who never said them and then put it online. Well, they use this technique not just briefly, but interspersed throughout a 90-minute documentary where there's limitless, almost limitless footage through the years, historical archival footage of interviews these men gave and uh, modern reactions to their impact on the game, etc. And in telling the story, the filmmaker Ken Rogers, who again, very talented guy, went into he went down the deep fake road. And I'm just saying that at the way it hit me, I'll be curious to see if once you guys tune into it uh, for a future episode, come back and let me know. But I found it off-putting, confusing. It was like uh, we went from traditional documentary or, you know, footage from the 60s, the 70s. Great stuff. I'm just eating it up. And then now we've got imagined conversations. We've gone down Oliver Stone Avenue, reminded me of the movie W. But in that, there was no deep fake. It was just uh, 
Josh Brolin uh, playing Ding. <laughs> Ding. 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 Doing a nice job, but um, these guys came. So, the, and I watched a little extra aspect, and the, and the filmmaker explained it as Ken Rogers, not Kenny. He said, uh, Is that a ding? He said, uh, What he was looking for here was uh, he said they were trying to interpret what Alan Pete would say if they were alive today. And the problem was the way they were positioned, and, and they're, they're, they're just walking endlessly around the um, Raiders new stadium in Las Vegas, which looks awesome. Um, is, uh, is that, uh, the guy doing Al Davis comes off sounding like De Niro. Sounds like De Niro. I'm not, not like Al Davis. And then the other guy sounds like Joe Petty. And I just couldn't get past that. It was. And so this is what deep fake brought us. And I'm amazed. He talked about how, what a lengthy process it is. They had kind of a, how it was made, uh, side video, you know, from a, they put a lot of effort into this, a lot of expense to give us this, uh, and then they had these people narrating it. The deep fakes weren't just, oh, here's a little five-minute side piece. They kept popping up in the 90-minute thing, and they were carrying their narrating, pushing it forward with imagined dialogue. And, oh, I, uh, I'm i still processing it again. I didn't finish watching it till after about 2.30 in the morning. And so maybe that's that. it's going to take me some time. Uh, but I'll just say that have you? I'll just ask: Have you guys seen any deep fake in the sports realm yet, where it does look like a video game? The way I mean, they can do anything they want with this. But I just thought for something historical with so much to choose from. Now, if you're trying to put something together, with, say Jim Thorpe, uh, you're trying to put together something on you know somebody back a century or more. You know, there's just not not much to put together a documentary with. Well, maybe you you attempt that, but or no, why not just let actors act and and stop trying to make us think that really is pete rosell but if you're just flipping around the danger to me with deepfake is less than this the political world but if you're just flipping around and you're a modern uh, football fan of in you know 30 or younger and had never really seen any interviews uh, with these guys before the the real person uh you'll be confused you might be confused you might actually think these guys said these things and I, uh, I was surprised. Of course, ESPN is the same place that gave us Brian Dennehy as Bob Knight and Tom Sizemore as Pete Rose, if you remember that. So these two, these two guys, I had to look that up on Sizemore. But um, Dennehy, I remembered. That was terrible. A good actor, great actor. But anyway, uh, Kimball's the, the uh, yeah. thespian. Deep so, take on documentaries. All, that's, that's, I'm flabbergasted, Mike. I mean, that's... I can't believe that I've got to see this. I, it doesn't make any sense that they would do this. It wasn't brief. It was throughout. And, and that's so weird. And it's so wrong and unfair in so many ways when like, I, I can't even think, I guess maybe if you are making a, a piece of fiction, but you're being a little hypocritical, Mike, because yeah. in, in Gus, the talking mule, Kicking. I, it was kicking. The, the mule, kicking mule, right? right? <laughs> was, was the mule. Was it simulated at all? Was it an actual mule? Did they use some of the similar technology? I can't believe that the mule did everything that they showed it to do. Hmm. Well, the, the nice thing is um, I didn't feel misled in that <laughs> because I, was, I knew I was suspending my disbelief as I sat down in the theater at age seven. No, that's, that's crazy. What do you think, Tim? 
it, it sounds like just another night at the at the Berardino home to me, where he, <laughs> where where he has five martinis and then he starts hearing voices like De Niro and Pesci, and he's actually just watching Goodfellas, but he thinks he's watching something else. And then Might he have been. makes a point about it. Right, right <laughs> after he lost a lot of money on a, a totally hung over, he comes in the next day and tries to make it into a point. <laughs> I'm gonna have to rewatch it. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> you got me. He got me. I had half, half a glass of wine and I sat down to watch it, and it got away from me. It just got away from me. Uh, it's a danger of flipping channels. You just ESPN, Cinemax. Uh, so deep fake, uh, let us know, uh, for our various things that we've already plugged, uh, or social media itself. I, I just, I, I, I just, I'm on record. I mean, I'm pretty sure I saw what I thought I saw and I don't, I don't want to see that again. I don't, I'm not a big video gamer. I know that they can make it seem like you're really in the room with historical figures, etc. I don't want that, especially when there's so much material to choose from. I'll just leave it with this. It struck me that, and this is really quite a quite a feat. Deep fake of Al Davis somehow made Al Davis uh, th this this particular version of Al Davis creepier than not just the real Al Davis, who was always kind of creepy, <laughs> but Mark Davis too. And and if you can do that, if you can name that, Mark Davis was involved with this. The son with the with the haircut, that the bowl haircut that was just so unfortunate that he sticks with. He could, he, you know, he's a billionaire. He sticks with that. But he's interviewed briefly, but the creepier than the real deal, that's that's saying something. So, yeah, I think I think that's what I saw, but I'll double check. Um, <laughs> well, I think um, we'll, we'll leave it there. There was, there was another uh, rousing discussion. Uh, we, thanks, we thank you for uh, being along with us for another episode of Three Point Range. Enjoy the Super Bowl. I guess it would be, uh, we already have Tim on record with saying that uh, Chiefs minus three. I've told you Bucks plus three and a half, but I'm willing to play a middle. So, see, I, I have wiggle room there. Uh, and uh, Kimball's not even going to watch because he doesn't want to hurt himself. He doesn't. No, I'm good. Different. I told yeah. you, I'm good with this. My, I think my pain level most is going to okay. be five. I'm going to go with, uh, uh, I'll take Kansas City to win, but Tampa Bay to beat the spread. How about that? Close game. Okay. All right. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time on the other side of uh, Super Bowl 55.